I'm Joe Zane. And I'm John Good. And this is Michigan Mobility Scene. Hi, John. Uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? It, it has. Um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a while since we've done this last. And uh, we have a lot to update you on uh, today on Michigan Mobility Scene. Yeah, and I, the theme of our, our episode is going to be autonomy, uh, next generation mobility, and the trough of disillusionment. To a certain extent. So I, I'm excited because there's been a lot going on in the summer. The last time we recorded was early April. We talked to Annalisa uh, Bloom about Maven, and there's some updates there, uh, which relate there to the theme that we're talking about. So Maven cut back a number of cities, and they're reducing their their footprint. Um, and uh I don't know what are your thoughts on that, John? I, 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 yeah, I mean, huge, huge changes um, in in GM's strategy here. Well, maybe to step back, I think let's let's talk about what they did, right? So Maven again was GM's car sharing uh, platform, both company cars and peer to peer car sharing. Um, they were operating in um, a lot of cities across the country. I think over 20 cities mm-hmm. um, at the peak. And and what GM decided to do was pull back, um, not not get rid of the platform, not you know give up any IP, but just kind of uh, limit limit the outlays uh, in in the near term. Um, because from my understanding, uh, they were losing they were losing money. Um, and I think, and we'll talk about this, uh, all of the car companies are being critical, uh, just viewing their expenditures with a critical eye right now, um, given the external climate. Well, and I wasn't entirely surprised that it happened. You could kind of hear in Annalisa's uh, interview an undertone of uh, the thought that that something might be afoot. There was changes in leadership, uh, and while she was optimistic, she also was a spokesman for she is a spokesman for for GM. So it makes sense. And given the fact that they're cutting back on the workforce so aggressively, or they did uh, at the end of last year and into the beginning of this year. Uh, it's obvious that they're hedging against a potential downturn. And w- so this aligns with this. It, it, the fact is that GM is not a venture-backed startup. And it needs to behave responsibly f- from the perspective of shareholders. It can't be like other companies that lose, I don't know, maybe five point. Six billion dollars in a quarter, and still, you know, was that Uber's yeah, quarterly I, I, loss? I think so. I, I a lot has to do with the fact that it IPO'd, and there is different things about share shares to their um, to their employees and stuff. But uh, at the same time, if that happened to GM, uh, we'd be having a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, the last time uh, the auto companies were were in that kind of financial strain was was back in two thousand five. Yes, six. Um, not a good period for them. Uh, yeah. Like anyway, um, but the the economics of 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 ride hailing of uh, TNCs, Uber and Lyft. That's a whole separate discussion mm-hmm. that I'm sure actually we'd like to have um, because they are 
kind of structurally unprofitable, but uh, venture uh, venture capitalists have been willing to subsidize them uh, for now. And I think you're absolutely right, Joe, about the fact that these large um, automotive companies have a different objective, uh, different metrics that they measure in terms of return on capital, in terms of um, just their their profitability on a quarter by quarter basis. And you could see this uh, elsewhere. I feel like the the car companies, uh, the big, well, especially Ford and GM, have uh, been really looking at uh, getting into mobility. There, uh, so full full disclosure. I one of the things that happened in the past uh, since we last recorded is I, I joined uh, Ford as a patent engineer. Yeah, I do not speak for. Congratulations! Oh, thank you. <laughs> I do not speak for Ford. I want to make that uh, absolutely clear. I speak as a private individual, but I do notice that there there's definitely a tension between the old and the new. On the one hand, you have people working at uh, the factory at Corktown trying to push the boundaries of what is considered next generation transportation. And, and, and remember, fac- the factory is actually an office building, not, exactly. not a factory. Yeah, we're not talking about a place where you build cars. It's an old factory that's at Corktown. That is like where a lot of their AV um, planning is, is done. And there's a lot of energy and excitement and young people who are willing to you know do the agile software thing. And then you have, on the other hand, a lot of the more traditional research and product development, which is very fine-tuned after years of doing a great job, uh, but is a little bit, uh, it, it is discordant with the, the the drive to do new things. And so you see Ford stuff, um, they, they bought, um, uh, excuse me, What's the company that was? They ended up Chariot. They bought Chariot and then shut down services because when it comes down to it, they couldn't just keep on bumping money into uh, a loss-making enterprise. So and, and I think so. On a related topic, though, I think um, the venture capital industry in Silicon Valley have realized that they can't fund losses in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the the startups that we saw, you know two, three years ago in the uh, self-driving space uh, are asking some really hard questions of themselves. You know, what does their revenue model look like? Uh, are they expected to sell software to uh, an OEM? Are they expecting to be acquired? A lot of them were expecting acquisition. Um, but I think for some of the independent players, and um, so the big example of this recently was Drive.ai, which was uh, focused on a self-driving shuttle. Uh, they had two pilot programs in uh, in North Texas, uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, but essentially, they they ran out of money in May and June, uh, and were closed closed down. Uh, Apple ended up buying uh, what was left um, in terms of IP and and um, you know uh, engineering talent. Uh, but I think it's it's a real sign that um, you know companies will have to think these startups will really need to think through what their business strategy is going forward, and they can't um, keep going uh, with just a science experiment uh, 
uh, while they refine the technology, they, they need to have some revenue coming in. Well, and I think a lot of those startups were brought into being at the uh, the peak of the hype cycle. So for those who aren't familiar, you start off and then a new technology comes around. You are um, you go up. You're at the peak of excitement. And Joe, and this is the Gartner hype cycle, hype, right? Yes, absolutely. The, the Gartner hype cycle. And at some point, uh, you have, people come down to earth and they realize that all the promises and expectations are not coming to fruition. And that, that part is called the trough of disillusionment, which is what we're kind of experiencing, especially in the uh, AV space. You saw that with Drive AI, remember, realizing that they couldn't keep on going. Um, the players that are out there need to be able to distinguish themselves. And there are different ways to do that. Um, you also see it in the fact that Cruise, uh, which is owned by GM but is based out in California, uh, finally acknowledging that they're not going to be putting uh, vehicles, uh, fully automated vehicles, in uh, on the streets in 2019. And there has been some discussion among those who really knew how the technology worked. People realized that that it wasn't go they weren't going to make it, or if they were going to make it, it was going to be in a very limited, narrow capacity, uh, and. So when they announced that they weren't going to be uh, completing something this year, it was really just an acknowledgement of, of the on-the-ground reality of it. And I feel like that's going on across the entire industry. Yeah, I think absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the optimistic projections that we saw back in 2014, 2015, 2016 um, – are really being walked back right now. Uh, people are realizing uh, that that these these timelines are just not not going to happen. Um, there's there's someone I follow on Twitter, um, so I'll give a shout out to him because this is the timeline I'm thinking of. Uh, Eric Paul Dennis, he works at the Center for Automotive Research out in Ann Arbor, um, and he keeps a running tally of of the um, kind of previous. Uh, <laughs> claims to roll out level four autonomy. Mm -hmm. um, and you see over the years, you know, there were some, a lot of people saying 2018, 2019, a lot of those are grayed out, didn't happen. Waymo did release um, in, a, in a very constrained um, controlled trial, um, the Waymo One AV taxi service, but it's not what they originally thought. Um, and now Cruise, which promised 2019 is getting uh, pushback as well. Um, a lot of companies have promised 2020 and 2021. Uh, so I think there will be a lot more um, kind of uh, calibration of, of what people put out there. I was listening to another podcast, the, the Autonicast, which uh, thanks to John for pointing that one out to me. It's a, it's a great uh, listen. Yeah, we, we both really endorse um, what they do over there. And one of the points that was brought up in a, a recent episode was that it all comes down to what we acknowledge as being safe. And when you get to 95% you know, no incidents, 99% no incidents, that is the easy part in a lot of ways because the it's the, the issue of those edge cases. And 
figuring out a way to test the edge cases without necessarily having to have a colossal uh, problem, <laughs> a an accident that sure. uh, could cause a f- fatality, uh, is, is one of the, the most difficult things. And so I, I feel like some of the skepticism that maybe the traditional auto industry has shown toward new mobility is coming it's being realized and that suddenly all the excitement is is coming down to earth but in the meantime we're making a lot of progress right and, and uh, this is grappling with these questions and trying to figure out how to move forward uh, in a way that that is both safe and effective is is a necessary part of ultimately getting past that trough of disillusionment and to the point where we're starting to realize what the actual uh, value of the technology is. Totally agree with with everything you said there, um, and I think, yeah, I, I think it's actually been well demonstrated for the past few years that on on the simple driving maneuvers, um, you know, those have already been worked out largely. Um, the the kind of basic uh, route uh, and path planning um, for the autonomous driving algorithm, um, our autonomous driving system, really. Uh, those core functionalities in terms of highway driving and even some, you know, uh, basic arterial driving in in the suburbs, um, really have been worked out, and and Waymo has proven this uh, years ago. Um, but the edge cases, as you as you said, are, are hard to to predict. Um, the the long tail, as it were, um, of of potential. Uh, environmental um, conditions and hazards. Um, I think that's why going forward we'll see more roles for simulation, more um, roles for testing at dedicated facilities to to validate the safety. Because even if you know to to, to statistically prove uh, that these vehicles are safer than humans, you do need tons more miles, you know, than than we have now. Um, but is it miles driven or situations, right? So that no, that's a good point. It's it's really how many times do they get the situation right? Um, and I I don't think every, not every mile is equivalent. Absolutely, like you could drive across the country on yeah. interstate highways and get lots of miles that way. But what's you could ask the question whether what's the value there? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, this is kind of an aside, I find it interesting that no company has done that, really. I think um, there was a Delphi um, demonstration a few years ago at an Audi, I believe, uh, that tried to do that. Um, I think they were largely successful. Um, let, me, let me double check that. I know that Tesla mentioned that they were going to do it, and I don't think they ever did. Is that is that right? I. Sounds familiar, but I, I I'll, I'll let you check on that. Okay. Uh, speaking of Tesla, yeah, talk about some uh, somebody who, or a, a company that's going against that general trough of disillusionment uh, message. Uh, they they Elon Musk uh, definitely makes some some bold pro- proclamations that uh, are so- somewhat dubious in terms of whether they'll actually have this this full self driving capability, and I, I feel like the the 
Big Three's emphasis on safety and traditional focus on it is, is really an asset here because ultimately we don't want to be causing problems that uh, that set the industry back. Absolutely, I, I think that the kind of uh, the systems engineering experience uh, that the automotive companies have, um, and just the kind of mission critical nature of technology development here. I mean, it's not it's not the same you know, agile uh, software development that is often seen, although the companies are embracing more of those uh, methods. Methods, yeah. Um, but it is one thing to beta test uh, a new uh, social uh, media platform, right? Or, uh, I mean, a new smartphone app, it doesn't matter if it crashes, really. Um, but a car, it, it matters it, if it crashes. It does. Um, so just to, just to return to what I said earlier, yeah, so back in 2015, uh, a Delphi-equipped um, Audi um, did go from San Francisco to New York. Um, this is 2015. But importantly, it drove 99% of the mile. So it drove highway only. So once it got off the highway, uh, they needed to turn it over to the, the human. So, and I think... From what I've heard, um, things like that are, are not necessarily the best ways to prove that the technology is ready because actually most of that operational design domain is very simple and you can just make it work in a very limited set of circumstances um, and and that's very different than a, a dynamic uh, uh, autonomous vehicle with um, the ability to react to changing circumstances. Well, and one of the things that we we're getting at earlier, it, in order to solve this problem of figuring out all these edge cases and providing a product that is uh, ultimately going to uh, be what the public expects, it does take a lot of money. And that goes back to Drive AI closing down. And it also uh, reflects another major development that's happened recently, which is uh, the fact that Argo, which was primary, uh, which Ford had a controlling stake, it was they came to a deal with VW to have equal stake with with Ford. Uh, now they each, uh, whereas Ford previously owned sixty percent, now they each own thirty percent, and uh, they Ar Argo will be providing the self driving capability to Volkswagen as well as as Ford. So that's a very interesting development for, for the industry. Yeah, so to recap what happened, um, Argo uh, is a Pittsburgh-based uh, self-driving car startup. Um, it's been backed by Ford since um, uh, 2017 um, when they acquired a majority stake. Um, uh, last month in July, VW invested $1 billion in cash and contributed um, its engineers and other assets from its European self-driving unit worth about $1.6 billion. So it's a $2.6 billion investment, uh, which values the company at, um, at over $7 billion now. Um, so so that, uh, that's actually part of a larger partnership that Ford and Volkswagen are, are exploring, um, both in commercial vehicles and other small cars and EVs. So that's a larger kind of corporate consolidation question about how do you um, marshal your resources um, in product development, which is very expensive. Uh, the late uh, Sergio 
uh, Marchione uh, from FCA kept talking about the need to do this because product development is expensive. Um, the transition from uh, internal combustion engines to EV platforms is going to be very expensive. So he kept telling the industry, we need more consolidation, we need more partnerships to save on product development costs. So you're seeing that with Ford and VW. Um, and, and I think what that gives Argo is a stable financial uh, platform to keep working on the technology. And I was going to th- mention Sergio Marchionne as well. The fact is that uh, it comes, no, uh, please. <laughs> it comes down to the fact that if there are a dozen different people basically developing the same engine, that's not a whole lot of valuable economic activity. It's just straight up, fa- uh, 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 straight up competition. Uh, and it ends up being a lot of wasted uh, effort. Now, and that that's where this consolidation continues to move forward. And I feel like that's exactly uh, a reflection of the the Argo partnership with uh, VW and uh, Volkswagen, uh, VW and Ford is exactly a reflection of that. And uh, I think it's interesting going forward. Uh, I'm I'm rooting for Argo, especially now that I'm uh, I have my my fate tied to Ford, but it'll be interesting. They're going from a, a shop that's dedicated to one OEM and their needs to having to divide their attention in two, two ways. So I think there's a lot of core use cases that are going to be, there's going to be synergy there, but there's also the p- potential that you they will have two bosses, so to speak. So uh, I, I, I'm interested in seeing how that ends up playing out. We probably won't see any of that because we don't work there. and We don't see like kind of the internal office politics. But uh, f- having worked at FCA in the past and merging uh, the Italian European business with the North American business, 10 years later, there's still distinct cultural uh, fit issues. And I could imagine they, they'll have to struggle with that for a while, too. So... Uh, we'll see how that pans out. It's, it'll be interesting because uh, th- they're going head to head with a number of other providers uh, and uh, self-driving car uh, developers, and ultimately, it's whoever can do the best that that will will come out ahead. Sure, I, I uh, that's a, that's a really good point about kind of cultural fit. Um, people in, people in this region know, um, but kind of more broadly, the Daimler Chrysler merger in the late '90s uh, had major issues because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, these kind of combinations of cultures will always be difficult. I think in the AV space, it's a bit, because they haven't combined product decisions, you know, what kind of products will be released. Um, but it's really the, the core underlying technology. And I think uh, I would expect less debate over, you know, we all agree that cars should should be safe and drive um, in, in roughly similar ways. Uh, so I think those kind of decisions about the core um, autonomous driving technology will be will be less um, shaped by by those office politics. Perhaps, but if you, uh, I've I've heard from uh, 
I've listened to lots of podcasts about mergers and acquisitions, sure. and a lot of that happens in the software space. And if you're someone who spent the past five years building up a code base that does the exact same thing, somebody's going to have to make a call, and you might get pretty upset if your your life's work for the past five years just gets axed, and then you're told to work with uh, the people back in Pittsburgh or vice versa to um, just incorporate their their base uh code so no that's a that's a good point um yeah i mean and it's it's no simple matter just to merge the code bases it's all you know it it's actually you can't just do that at all um i mean and and i assume that the approach you know everyone's kind of going after the same goal but the approach that argo is taking is not you know identical to the approach that they were doing in the labs in germany which is also not the same as, as Ford's um, team in Detroit. So I think they're going to have to figure out, um, you know, how to take the best of each approach. Well, you could, easier said than done. Yeah, I know. And whether it's just a matter of like adding miles together, you know, because you you could definitely get a lot more data when you you duplicate. Uh, or take the database from from both locations and crunch it in different ways, but um, if it has to be done in, in a thoughtful way, I guess is my point. And uh, it, it's you have to be very careful about that. Um, yeah. So I, I think another another partnership that was recently announced, um, also about kind of saving resources and being more strategic, um, also with Ford. Uh, was its recent $500 million investment in the EV startup Rivian. Absolutely. Do you want to talk about what happened there? Well, uh, after a long conversation about it, they uh, Ford ended up um, contri- uh, investing $500 million in Rivian and th- with the idea being that they will work on a joint project in the near future. And I, it's interesting because Ford already has a robust uh, electric vehicle program and they had, independent of this, uh, been working on an F-150 that's all all electric and that's um, something that's been out in the news and and so... And the Mustang too, right? uh, Yeah, that absolutely. Um, And they're still going to work on those projects, but they're... in work, uh, they're working behind the scenes to come up with a third uh, project that's going to be in conjunction with Rivian. It's it's unclear what exactly that's going to be, but they're going to be taking advantage of some of the uh, Rivian technology, the, the technology that Rivian brings to the table, uh, specifically with the way the the powertrain is built. So Rivian has a skateboard pro, uh, platform, and uh, Ford's F1 electric F150 does not, and so they're going to see how they can play together and, and come together with a, either a joint vehicle. It's unclear whether it'd be branded as Ford, jointly branded differently. So it, it'll be. Uh, I'm excited to see what comes out of the partnership. Yeah, I, I think I think Rivian is a very exciting. Um, we've talked about them in the past. Um, one of the most exciting startups in the region. Um, they're based in Plymouth, but they have offices in in. California, um, a factory that they bought from Mitsubishi in Illinois. Uh, so they have a lot of capability. Um, they announced their their vehicles at the LA Auto Show um, late last year. So I think 
there's a lot of energy behind them. I know a lot of different suitors were trying to look at how to collaborate with Rivian. Um, I think there was a rumor that GM was going to partner at some point. I did hear that. And then the Amazon. I don't remember that one, but I could believe it. So, so there's there's a lot of interest in the company. Um, uh, I think people recognize that it's a good, um, you know, it, it takes uh, a lot of, a lot of lessons from Silicon Valley and kind of technology, but also um, most of their um, senior staff and, and engineering talent has has deep roots in the in the automotive side as well. And they're the they're a company that started outside of uh, the Detroit area and decided to move back to uh, that's right. Well, not back, but they they decided to move to Southeast Michigan. I think they were founded in in Florida, but I think that's right. Uh, if I recall the story correctly. They had so many employees who are from this area that they decided it was most efficient just to have the headquarters right here, the supplier base and all of that. Yeah. And you, you think about what Rivian gets out of the, the deal. And uh, to be clear, I have absolutely no inside knowledge. I'm just reading the news. Uh, I would imagine that the expertise behind the uh, manufacturing process is something that Ford really does bring to the table. And uh, that continues to be a theme. We, we as in Southeast Michigan and Michigan more generally know how to build cars effectively. <laughs> and I, I'm sure that they are hiring lots of talent along those lines. But uh, if there's some synergy there, it, it would make sense. Yeah, I mean, it's and just logically, um, of course, we've talked about um, Tesla in the past and, and, you know, having to create that expertise uh, from scratch is, is hard. Um, so leveraging the talent that exists and also the, the assets, you know, we, we've seen GM uh, kind of uh, uh, close down or, or kind of idle plants um, in the region. Um, there's a lot of there's still excess manufacturing capacity. So if, if that can be leveraged somehow um, to build new vehicles, to, to accommodate startups, I think uh, that does play um, to our region's strength. And, and it, coming back to the kind of the core thesis of, uh, that Joe and I have about um, our competitive advantage here is, is combining the kind of technological and engineering expertise with, with uh, a demonstrated uh, proven ability to, to manufacture to high quality in, in mass production. Absolutely. It's interesting to see where, where it'll play out, but uh, I, I do hope that uh, the, a little bit more of a forward thinking culture slowly permeates um, the, the big three because you, you really need to get over some of the skepticism that I think is out there um, among the region for like Silicon Valley culture. And uh, in order to try to look forward and, and not be surprised or to try, try new and exciting things. But the, the capital problem always, it, a lot of times it comes back to capital. There's not quite as much of a money sloshing around this region as, as there are in, in other locations. So, yeah, and, and that goes back to kind of the central theme of this episode is is the, you know, are we entering the trough of disillusionment for AVs? And, um, you know, just given what happened in the market this week, 
you know, uh, are we seeing larger macroeconomic trends that, that the companies are, are definitely taking into consideration? What do you think uh, the impact of a recession would be on some of the progress that's, that's currently being made in, uh, in next generation mobility? Yeah, that's a that's probably an episode in, in and, and of, of itself. itself. But yeah. um, just to preview that episode, uh, I guess we'll have to do it now. Um, is so so we've benefited from a long uh, expansion, um, which has coincided with the modern um, autonomous uh, vehicle technology boom, um, the modern new mobility um, scene. Uh, but you know, recessions look at you know, we'll, we'll see much more constrained capital. We'll see much more focus on the bottom line. So I think a lot of these startups uh, that don't show any revenue um, and don't have a clear path to profitability will, will struggle. Um, uh, I think the automotive sector is cyclical. Uh, so, you know, we know well here that... Uh, <laughs> That the that the big three have have struggles during recessions. Um, I mean, and and you see that, you know, happening in in um, the kind of increase in inventory across the uh, supplier chain. Well, really, the dealer system. Now, um, I don't know, Joe. What do you what do you think about that? Well, it's going to be tough. You see that both Ford and GM have significantly cut personnel in the past year. Looking forward to that. And uh, we, we do have the benefit as a region of building stuff that, that people like, but at the same time, like you said, it's cyclical. So, um, for example, Ford F-150s, they seem to, they can't build them fast enough. But on the other hand, well, in the middle of a recession, if people are making less money, then we have a lot of excess capacity and uh, we'll be tightening our belt. And I would generally see uh, as a ref- kind of a reflection of the whole economy that some of the investments that you're, uh, that GM, Ford, and other companies in the region are making in new next generation mobility will, will dry up for a time. I, I don't know that uh, hopefully the existing investments will stay pat. Yeah, but you could think about the uh, the partnership with Volkswagen and Argo to be a, a symptom of that. They're ready. F- they're, they want to make sure that Argo has enough cash on hand to continue operations through. Uh, hopefully, if it, well, hopefully there's no recession. Like it's always the the hope. Uh, you know that people say that recessions don't die of an old or expansions don't die of an old age. Of old age, there's always something that comes along, but. You know, with with a heightened alert, they want to be ready so that Argo can continue its progress, such as it is, uh, and and not have to uh, make those really hard choices. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the decisions being made now are about building capital, building cash, really to to weather the storm. And a lot of the, if there are any paper tigers out there, ones that. Uh, companies that are doing a lot in the space or have a lot of hype or buzz, but they're not. There's no substance behind them. I, you, I think you'll see a lot of uh, those kind of organizations either folding or being bought for talent 
like like drive AI. Yeah, I think we'll see more of that. Um, yeah, and, so I mean, it'd be interesting to see um, if there's going to be further consolidation. I'd imagine there would be because there still are a handful um, of serious contenders in the AV space, and in ten years, I can't see more than I don't know, three or four, maybe. Well, that's, I, I mean, I think if we're talking about kind of full stack AV providers, I mean, I think the industry will be, the automotive industry is very complex now with OEMs and tier one, tier two, tier three suppliers. And I think we'll see more of that kind of complexity as companies specialize in specific fields. Um, I think the big integrative, play, integrative players like, um, like Zooks, um, and Aurora, um, which aims to do everything, um, will be, I think that those are the biggest question marks I see going forward. Because they have to either show progress or especially when you're, you're in a downturn and they don't have the cash to continue to, uh, to fund, it's, they become an acquisition target if they can't keep their valuation up and that sort of thing. Sure. And, and who... And I think where will the acquisitions come from? I think, you know, some some OEMs may want an in-house uh, uh, AV development team. Some may want a partner like Ford and, and VW are doing. Um, you know, we'll see some remain independent. Obviously, Waymo has basically unlimited cash to, to keep, keep running as long as it, until it gets it right. Um, so, so there'll be a, a shakeup. I think, um, and and it's already happening. It's already starting. You look to the early twentieth century as as a lesson in history, and you, in I don't know the twenties, like nineteen hundred to like nineteen thirty, there were a whole bunch of car companies. A lot of them got bought out by General Motors. You know, Buick was an independent company. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Chevrolet. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Or is that anyway? Point is, yeah, Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile, uh, and uh, consolidation makes sense when there's not uh, enough capital to, to stand independently. So um, we might be in store for that, or the expansion can just keep on going. So we will we will see. Um, this will be a recurring topic, I think, on sure. on Michigan mobility scene. Um, so before we go, I. Uh, we, we had a little bit of kind of an aside. Um, so, so locally, um, unless you had something else to, no, no, the, well, the, yeah, go, go right ahead. Um, yeah. so, so locally, um, uh, you probably know. So, uh, if, if you're not in the region, um, one of, one of the leading political figures, uh, passed away, uh, recently, uh, Elbrooks Patterson. Um, he was the county executive of Oakland County, uh, which is uh, one of the major suburban counties in Metro Detroit. Um, uh, very outspoken uh, person on a variety of matters um, uh, and, and very much uh, kind of a took the approach of, of safeguarding Oakland County tax dollars for, for Oakland County residents. And um, for those that don't know, um, Oakland County houses most of the, um, you know, high value added uh, office jobs in the region. Um, it has the most affluent households. 
Um, so, so oftentimes, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a tension between, between Oakland County and, and Detroit, which is in Wayne County. And over, especially, it's, there's been a recent reversal of that move to the suburbs, and there's uh, been some businesses, quite a few businesses now moving back downtown, but that's r- very recent. So if you look at the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, that uh, the center of Detroit, businesses were leaving quickly, and uh, largely they went to places in Oakland County. Um, I mean, really, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. For sure. But yeah. especially... Uh, the 80s really reshaped the region um, uh, in terms of that's when modern kind of Southfield and Troy were built. Um, that's when a lot of the office space went up. And Brooks Patterson was the county executive from the early 80s. Maybe late, might be 79. I'm trying to remember. But either way, he's been in county politics for a long, long that, time. That I, that I know. Um, um, so, so kind of moving forward, what, Joe, what do you think this means for the region? Well, I, I, we're going to focus specifically on the RTA. Now, for those who the are... The Regional in, Transit Authority. Yes. The, uh, back in 2016, a tax to fund the Regional Transit Authority was uh, rejected primarily through the strength of uh, no votes in rural Oakland County and rural Macomb County. Uh, Macomb County was really the center, but Brooks Patterson was uh, very much against uh, this tax because that's what it came down to. It was a tax uh, countywide that would fund fund the RTA largely because the RTA, as constituted, didn't necessarily provide the services to the broader Oakland County area, and it focused mostly on the main thoroughfares, which is really southeast Oakland County, up through Pontiac. So there's large tracts of rural Oakland County that really didn't get any any services from yeah. that. Oakland County is way bigger than I think we usually think. Most of the urbanized portion that we think of as Oakland County Troy, Southfield, Royal Oak, Birmingham, that's all Southeast Oakland. Um, uh, but, but actually there's a lot of rural areas and they did not, in the 2016 transit plan, they did not get served by, by fixed route transit. So, and officially, just to give him uh, all due credit, um, he was officially neutral on that, uh, on that ballot measure, but, um, but did block the 2018 ballot measure from proceeding. And I don't know the inner details of that. But he has a very strong personality. And when he decides something, he's very firm in it. And it's been good for Oakland County to a large extent, because he's uh, kept the the bond rating of Oakland County. It's a triple A bond rating, which allows lower interest rates and everything so we could borrow uh, more effectively. Uh, But He's been very focused on that, and that fiscal. I think it comes down to a philosophy of fiscal responsibility. He didn't, and even if he was neutral in the 2016 proposal, um, he was reluctant to go forward just because uh, of if somebody told him what to do. I feel feel like he resented that <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, and and I think ultimately it was a bit, um, you know. So so yes, he. He was a good financial manager uh, for Oakland County, but I think um, if you look at the larger financial impact of 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 
of Metro Detroit, um, of what's good for, for the region, and ultimately Oakland County, um, you'll see that um, some of these investments will, will pay back um, tremendously by, by improving labor market access, improving people's access to opportunity. And I think uh, we have a, a real potential now to, to consider uh, major regional transit initiatives again. Do you feel that, uh, well, for, um, I, I personally like Brooks Patterson, and I, and he's done a lot for the county. I, I live in Oakland County, to be clear. Um, and, I, and I live in, in Wayne County. I live in the city. But I, uh, I have a sense that uh, who comes next really does matter as to whether the, the, uh, it has an impact on the, the next version of the RTA tax uh, that, that comes on the ballot. Do you have a, uh, how has the plan changed? Do you have a good sense of like what we're looking at in 2020? It sounds like uh, from talking to you earlier that it will be on the ballot in 2020 or is likely to be on the ballot. Uh, that's maybe that is my hope. Um, I, I do think it there's there's a push to, to again put it on there. Um, the 2018 so the 2016 plan had a mix of uh, a commuter rail to Ann Arbor, uh, bus rapid transit, uh, which is bus on dedicated right of way um, on three main arterial routes from downtown Michigan, Woodward, and Gratiot. Um, the 2018 plan was more focused on on just improving bus service everywhere, and as a reaction to that, people wanted more capital projects. So um, what the RTA board has put out um, just a, a few weeks ago, um, they released this before their meeting in Washtenaw County um, in July, is a mix of, of, again, the commuter rail, some BRT, and um, actually a long-term uh, consideration of light rail uh, to the airport. Um, uh, it is very much not a plan. It is a list of potential ideas that have come up through their engagement process with local uh, stakeholders. Um, so they have not decided what would go on kind of a phase one plan, but this is kind of the long-term vision that they see. Uh, and I guess, do I think it's going to make it on the ballot? I think this is, a, uh, this is an open question right now. Do you think there will be more support from Oakland and Macomb County going forward? Uh, I, I think it really depends on how you sell the plan. Um, I, I, there's There are elements in the plan that I think are very appealing to people that voted no. Um, again, sorry, I'm saying plan. I don't mean plan. I mean some of the ideas that have come up, including long-range commuter rail restoration to Pontiac. Um, uh, that existed until the mid-80s. Um, and then a potential uh, commuter rail to Mount, Mount Clemens as well. Um, so for some reason, people like rail um, more than bus um, uh, for all sorts of cultural things that, that we don't have to go into here. But, but I think some of those elements are very exciting to people. Uh, and then you have to sell the, um, I think, express crosstown buses um, uh, because that's one of the areas where our system is lacking now. Um, crosstown uh, bus frequencies, um, for example, on the main arterials, 9-mile, 12-mile, 14-mile, uh, 15-mile, um, are all about hourly. 
which is basically unusable. Um, so, so fixing that will be a big goal, I think, of any plan going forward. So, and especially with the the disparate nature of where jobs are located in Oakland County and where people live, those crosstown routes really matter. Because if you're out in Macomb County, which is northeast of the city, and you need to go to a job in Southfield or Royal Oak, then you, in our current system, it's very tough to do uh, on public transit. Yeah, you have to wait. You have to really time your your travel and make sure you get that bus or else you're waiting an hour. And hope that the bus comes on time, which is another issue that... Hopefully, some of the new technology that is available could help solve uh, in terms of tracking where the bus is. And, sure. Better um, communication technology, for sure. Is there any discussion in the plan, or not the plan, but the, uh, the set of ideas about modernizing some of those tracking mechanisms or coming up with a, like a consolidated app between that links smart and uh, Smart, which is the suburban uh, bus system, and Detroit uh, DDOT buses as well. So, so yeah, there's there's core investment in the kind of what's called the ABS system or automatic, sorry, AVL, automatic vehicle locator system. Um, I mean, right now, you can open up um, a, an app, um, either the Smart app or or the Transit app, which is uh, based out of Montreal. Um, uh, and and I actually think you have pretty good multimodal connections um, on your phone already. Um, what we don't have is is frequency. Mm -hmm. um, so, and and some of the the real time arrival data is a bit off. So sometimes you know it's about five minutes off. But you know if you if you're five minutes late and then the bus has already left, then that's a, that's an issue. So making sure that that's completely accurate, um, but just guaranteeing travel times um, requires more than technology. It requires, you know, it requires some technology like uh, signal prioritization. But you know, in areas of congestion, um, these are often political decisions about, you know, do you do you create a bus lane? So that's those are those are other topics. I, I could talk about this all day. Uh, um, I'm interested in it. <laughs> but um, but I think I think that that probably should should kind of wrap it up. For today, I think I think we're in an interesting time now um, for for mobility, um, and especially as as this region thinks about how to invest for the future. I think um, this needs to be a part of it. Absolutely, and ultimately, uh, we'll, we're hoping to shape the conversation. But it's it's interesting, and I'll just put a, a final point out there. Uh, we're we're recording this on the eve of Dream Cruise Weekend. And I feel I'll be up there. I, I am. Uh, I live in Birmingham, so I can walk to see uh, some pretty awesome car exhibits. I'd say, for all of the excitement about mobility, car culture is as alive as ever. And there's nothing quite like being in the Detroit area for for car culture. I mean, I was going on a run. Uh, and I live near Woodward, so my natural run route just took me by there. So on a Saturday night, in the middle of July, not even close to Dream Cruise, there's... It's every weekend during the summer. Absolutely. And uh, 
it's really coming to a head uh, tonight as uh, driving by Dearborn. I, uh, last week, they were seemed to be gathering Model Ts from throughout the United States, and I was driving my modern uh, minivan and trying <laughs> to, to dodge the uh, the 25 mile an hour or less Model T going down Village Drive uh, mm-hmm. over by the Henry Ford. So it's it's a interesting dichotomy that we're we're dealing with right now. So yeah, no, Joe, thanks for pointing that out. I, I, mobility matters to a lot of people for a lot of reasons, um, and and kind of. Uh, we've always uh, identified with how we get around, um, and and it's it's good to remember the kind of significance people have um, on on their car choices, on 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 all sorts of these things, um, because it, it's part of their identity um, to to a lot of people. Yeah, and if in the future getting from point A to point B becomes uh, merely a commodity, then there's definitely something lost there and <laughs> not not ha- identifying with your car because there are people who who love it and they they spend a lot of time on it not necessarily my thing but i like to see uh see the results here at the dream cruise so yeah yeah we'll um we'll have to do a, a retrospective um on on the dream cruise um and just uh i'll be up there i'll be taking pictures um we'll uh we'll talk about that i'm sure in the future absolutely well thanks for uh f- for finding time, John, it's been busy for both of us, yes. and uh, I, hopefully we'll we'll record another episode here in maybe a month or so. We'll see how it goes. Sounds good. Take care.